helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first reading is from Jeremiah 23, 1-6, and can be found on page 1210 of your Pew Bibles. Please listen for the word of the Lord. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which, they, by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Amen. Our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. This passage is often called the Canticle, or the Song of Zechariah. It's the praise that Zechariah offered after his baby son, John, who would one day be known as John the Baptist, was born. Zechariah has just seen the first bits of God's redemption as promised in Jeremiah, set into motion. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord! the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. The Old Testament prophets often spoke in special patterns using key words to shape the way in which they delivered the word God gave them to deliver the people. You see, Old Testament prophecy was not just about predicting the future. In fact, very little of their job was the magical future telling that often gets associated with the word prophecy. 
Now, they surely did speak of the new covenant that God would make with God's people. They surely did, in this passage included, point toward the coming of the Messiah, which is why this Old Testament passage is in the lectionary for Christ the King Sunday. But they also delivered strong words of warning to those who were living contrary to God's ways of peace and love and hope and justice and righteousness. They would point to the sinner, in this case, the kings of Judah, and by proxy and complacency, the people blindly following them, and then say what God promised to do as judgment if they didn't shape up, or sometimes tell them it was too late to stop the scary consequences from coming. This passage is an interesting combination of the two, in which, after indicating the judgment, God promises an age, a coming age of peace, under the reign of the Messiah, the shepherd king. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. One of those words that the Old Testament prophets used a great deal was woe. This word pointed to the person who was in trouble. Woe too was their warning that someone had gotten themselves into some trouble and decided to live in sinful patterns. Sometimes it was one person. Often, more often than not, it was the entire nation of Judah or Israel. But it's a sure sign that the word the prophet is about to deliver for God is kind of a big deal. And in this passage, Jeremiah points to the shepherds. He's not talking about literal shepherds here. This is a phrase used at the time to refer to the leaders of Judah. They were meant to be shepherds over the people, acting on God's behalf. But being human, they had failed at that task. Using the word shepherds instead of kings is Jeremiah's way of pointing out how very poorly they were doing their job. They had led their sheep, the people of Judah, astray, and all were a hot, sinful mess as a result. These leaders had been taking advantage of the people, scattering them, causing division, ignoring those who needed help. They were not caring for the poor, the widowed, the orphaned, the outsider. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. After the condemnation of their actions, the prophets used the name of God to indicate that God was serious and was about to deliver a sentence. The name of the Lord was considered to be so powerful that when reading scripture and talking about God, the people, the priests and rabbis included, would say God or the Lord rather than using the name, which I myself am even uncomfortable saying out loud thousands of years later. So when the prophets say the name of the Lord, you know that they and God mean serious business. You have not taken care of my people, says God through the prophet Jeremiah. The king's primary sin was their failure to take care of all people, the poor, the widows, the outcast, 
and their failure to serve justice on those who took advantage of them. And this set the whole nation into a sinful tailspin. God promises that those kings have a hefty price to pay for their injustice. This is not just found here in this particular passage of Jeremiah, but all throughout the warnings of the prophets across the ages. Jeremiah is specifically calling out the leaders in his lifetime who were indeed the ultimate downfall of Judah. But this is an age-old critique of kings of Judah and Israel. It is a critique of kings and queens and other rulers around the world for centuries, and it will continue to be the greatest downfall of nations for centuries to come. Therefore, as Christians, we are called to model ourselves after a very different sort of king. Not the powerful military king with wealth and armies that the people expected, not the unjust and self-serving kings of Israel, but one who came as a true, peaceful, and loving shepherd. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. After pointing to the culprit, then calling out the sin, the Lord has the prophet Jeremiah tell the people what God will do to rectify the evil in their midst. The people have been so divided, so driven apart by the evil of their kings, that the task of bringing them back together is not possible under any rule other than God's. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Prophets often say, the days are coming, or look, the day is coming, to indicate that God has already set into motion the promises made in response to the evil they have suffered or have caused others to suffer. Just as he used the word shepherds to emphasize how miserably the kings and rulers were fitting into their calling as caretakers, Jeremiah refers to the Messiah only as the king to emphasize that he alone can fill that role rightly. In other words, none of the kings that Jeremiah sees fighting for rule over the people are the rightful rulers of God's people. The military and political kings that they have seen in the past are only separating them further and further from God and from one another each king more corrupt than the previous one. But under this new rule, this new day of God's reign, the people will be treated rightly again. They will be drawn back together under the reign of Christ, and the land will be just. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. Finally, Jeremiah uses an interesting play on words to really drive home the point. Names have deep, deep meaning in Hebrew culture. And the reigning king's name at that time, Zedekiah, meant my righteousness is the Lord. Jeremiah turns that around to the Lord 
is our righteousness. It's a final demand that the people realize that the kings have it backwards. This passage in Jeremiah begins with judgment, not just against the kings, but against all of Judah for blindly following their corrupt, self-serving, and unjust kings, which is an idea that is uncomfortable for those hearing it. It would have been much easier for the people of Judah to have heard words of judgment against other people. Nobody ever wants to hear themselves included in words of judgment, especially if that judgment, as it is in the case of Judah, is being given not for direct sinful action, but for sinful complacency and blindly following others. But take heart, because this passage ends with grace. There is a king who is never corrupt, who never leaves out the outcasts, the broken, the hurting, one who will rule not as the corrupt rulers of the world, but as the loving shepherd. Mary Eleanor Johns wrote about this passage of Jeremiah back in 2010. The reign of Christ is the reign of peace. The perennial question for the church is, how do we live faithfully under this reign? As Christians, do we stand by and let national leaders direct us into war? Or do we stand up, moving the prism around until we discover a just and equitable approach to handling the impasse at hand? Whether the crisis in our region, nation, or world is war, natural disaster, young people dying violently, lack of work, racism, sexism, trade policies, or migration, we are called to look to the underlying issues that play into the brokenness. At times, we are even called to upset the apple, court, apple cart in order to empower all people as children of God. As we prepare ourselves for a holiday dedicated to thanks this week, let us remember these words of thanksgiving from our gospel reading in Luke. Let us offer thanks for the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let us thank God, my friends, that we have a guide on the path of peace and reconciliation. Finally, one of the commentaries I read this week referenced a song I was surprised to find out I had never heard before. It's the song by the Dave Matthews Band, not a band that I would expect to be quoted in a Bible commentary, but there it was. And so I listened to the song, having never heard it before, and discovered that it is a beautiful picture of the true king and his humility. I didn't know Dave Matthews had that in him. And I want to share that song with you this morning um, in the time after the sermon, but before Phil begins the quiet musical meditation. And I want you to listen uh, carefully to the words of this song as we begin to change our focus toward Advent and waiting for this king and toward Christmas. Today we celebrate that king and his love and his grace and his merciful rule. And next week we begin to await his arrival in our own story. And I think that this song is a beautiful segue between the two. <laughs> 